0: Hi, I'm Ginny Holden, and I we will be discussing when um, failure actually becomes wrong today. And I'm with the amazing Mahim Muhammad Ali. And what we are looking at today is when failure becomes wrong. Hello, and welcome to Humanizing podcast that allows you to understand how you've been programmed by both evolution and culture so you can liberate any behavior you choose and be who you'd like to be today I'm Jenny I'm the map holder I'd like to introduce Marheen Hello Marheen is the explorer and together we will journey through this programming so you can understand through the questions you ask and definitely the questions Mahin asks, how to liberate yourself and be the most amazing person that you choose to be.
1: The Oxford English Dictionary, let's do it as if we're starting a best man's speech. Go on. Defines love as, no. The Oxford English Dictionary defines failure as lack of success in
0: doing or achieving something. Actually, in and of itself as a word, there's nothing wrong with it. It's how we've been taught to think about ourselves within that process, I hate. And it's really insidious because what you see is people afraid to try. Why are people afraid to try? What have we done to people which makes them afraid to try to step outside of their own comfort zone or even to look at anything that means they might have to learn something new? For me, actually, this It goes back an awful long way. So, um, you know, preschool. See, when you're a toddler, okay, and you're walking around and you fall over, no one shouts at you and says, "Oh, that's wrong, you shouldn't fall over, you should be able to walk straight away. Well, neat?
1: it's the complete opposite. It's rapturous applause that you took those few steps and then lots of
0: encouragement and you're okay, up you get, let's keep going. So what do you do? You get up and you go, well, I can do this, and you keep going. Um, and yeah. then something awful happens in our society, and it's global. This This is a global norm. What happens is you go to school and you try and learn something. And if you get anything wrong, immediately someone tells you off or makes you feel bad. I mean, we can all relate to that. Personally, I'm dyslexic. And the worst thing, how this showed up in my life, and I actually still remember, and considering I'm uh, nearly 55, which is horrendously ancient, this was when I was six or seven, maybe even earlier than that. So you've got to sit down and, you know, they make you practice handwriting. And I couldn't, for love nor money, make my letters the same shape or size, even when they had those three lines, you know. So you've got you've to got start at the top, go down, and then to form a B, you go up to the middle line, round and down, and you're supposed to be able to do a whole row of Bs, and they all look exactly the same. No. No, can't do that. Still can't do it today. And yet I, I had every single playtime taken away from me for nearly a whole year. Because I couldn't do that. And what used to happen is I used to have to sit inside. Oh, it still makes me feel. And watch everyone else outside playing. So they stole my joy and told me just because I couldn't shape letter, I was wrong. And I had all these wonderful, nice things taken away from me. And that's consistent. That's how we treat everyone. What was your experience at school? Or how did you feel about having to get 10 out of 10? I felt okay
1: about getting 10 out of 10. My experience at school was because I was chatty. Uh And so I got separated from my friends, Uh sat at the table opposite the teacher. But my mum actually a few years ago pulled out a load of old report cards and in it my teacher had written, we separated her, but she just turns around and talks to her friends. So now we're not sure if we should just put her back because it's less distracting if she's sitting amongst them than when she's sitting apart. (laughs) So because my school reports always said, does very well at school, if only she could apply herself a bit more
0: because I could listen and do the work and chat. And what on earth is wrong with that? All you're doing is showcasing the fact you've got a brilliant mind and they're not pushing you enough, you know. Um, I mean, I had that about being told off for talking. And this is, again, one of those things I will never forget. It was slightly after the dyslexic, please make all those shapes proper and couldn't. I was sat um, with my friend Susan and we kept on getting told off for talking and so much so that we were hauled up at the front mean, it must have been six and I were standing at the front of the class and they were telling us off and Susan, oh, Susan Abbott, I see, it, I even suddenly have remembered her surname, bursts into tears and goes, I tell, I tell Ginny what's on the board and she tells me the answer because I was so short-sighted, I couldn't see the board. Um, And the thing is, what I think is really interesting about that is we were helping, we were collaborating. As children, you automatically collaborate. You automatically work together. And what you were doing, again, back with your group of friends, is you're collaborating, okay? And yet, and we'll come on to this in another episode, but it's that bit that we are told off if we do not do the things we are supposed to do when we're supposed to do them. No, I am still no idea who really wrote the rules, but it wasn't us. Um, and also, that's very unhuman. But coming back to the thing about fear, if you continually tell someone off when they're learning, they are going to associate failure with fear. Period. That's what happens. So they just sit there and in your brain and this is one of those programs you can't undo. So what we've done insidiously here is attach something you've learned in this lifetime to a hardwired program in your brain, you know, it, that you can't undo. It's an algorithm which says if that how fear works. So now you go immediately, "Hello, I'm trying to do something. Oh, if I try and do something new and I fail, I'm frightened." And that sets off all of your freeze, fight or flight mechanisms. So you stop. Because who the hell wants to be afraid? Because your body's now telling you, don't do that. You're going to be afraid and you're now at risk. I mean, okay, the risk in our heads is only being shouted at, but who wants to get shouted at? And then this is perpetuated. Every single situation you then walk into when this has happened, we are teaching people to be afraid of learning. Or taking a chance on something
1: new or unknown. or Totally. It can be as, as debilitating as not going to a different place on holiday. Oh, entirely. <laughs> I've come across people, yeah, who go to the same resort every year. There's a fear there of what if I
0: go to the other place and it's not right or it's not okay. Or... Yes, and it's the fact that we've also taught people to internalise that. It's all your
1: fault. Feeling vulnerable, I suppose, is something that a lot of people
0: don't want to feel. No, of course you don't, because I said this 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 insidious connection with you know the algorithms and programs in your brain you can't change, which are there to keep you safe. So, did you know? And I know you do because we've had this conversation before, but I'm still going to go. Did you know that your fear mechanism in your head um, automatically scans the environment every three and a half to five seconds for something it can't predict? And you'll know this feeling because let's say you're on a bus or a train or a tube home late at night, and it's Christmas, but you're driving when you get to the other end or you don't drink, right? And everyone else is drunk. And you sit there and you feel uncomfortable with all these drunk people. And the reason is, is your brain is telling you, don't know how this is going to happen, don't know what reaction's going to be, don't know, can't predict, can't predict. But if you got up and moved to a carriage or an area where you weren't with them, it goes, okay, I feel a lot better now. Calm down. Because you weren't, you're not in a situation you can't predict. Sorry, you're now moved yourself into a situation where it's easier to predict. But as soon as you're in a situation that you can't predict, your brain goes, Oh my God, move or find out more information. And this, is a, this mechanism also shows up in really strange ways. So if you're afraid of failure, and afraid of getting things wrong and you're working in a company um, and let's say you, uh, this, this also, this one happened to me, my boss's boss's boss dropped me an email, like God, God on a level of God, like I, I'm surprised you, I existed, um, sent me an email and said da, 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 da. I need to talk to you by the end of the day and it was like nine o'clock in the morning by at least three and a half seconds past nine o'clock in the morning I decided I was going to be sacked for whatever reason and for the rest of the day all I did is at any time anything arrived or came in the only lens I could look at it on was negative right you know someone didn't come back to me immediately on IM it was like oh they're not talking to me because they know Or someone says, can you redo this? Oh, yeah, that's it. That's going in that pile. Because all my brain was doing was going, can't predict that situation. That situation that's going to come up is scary. So I am now going to make you look at everything and look at it negatively. And the reason it looks at it negatively is there are only three outcomes of your fear. Fight, flight, freeze. So it's only looking for negativity. So everything that arrives in your world, you look at negatively by five past six he rang me and said oh you know about food I'm going into London and my wife's it's my wife's 50th birthday she likes this sort of thing where do you think would be a good place to eat I knew a lot about food minorly obsessed still minorly obsessed with food makes a great a good day great and a bad day better does a good bowl of soup so what we've we've seen here is the fact that your brain if it only looks fear only works in a negative way because your brain goes give me more information so i know what to do and the three actions it does are all negative do i run do i fight do i freeze none of those are positive so it doesn't look for positive things in the world and if we take all of that and the fact it's doing this every five seconds looking at the world going is there something i need to be afraid of and we've in our lifetimes, attached to the fact that if I learn something and I don't get it right first time, someone's going to tell me off. Or what you've done then is make people fear failure. It's not a natural human response. Let's go back again. Toddlers, right? Even if you don't encourage them, they get back up again. They really do, and they tend to be giggling and laughing the of whole course, time. Of course, Joy. It's wonderful. They try something new and they try it again. And this thing we've taught ourselves, which I said I think is hugely insidious, and it's it's difficult to undo as well. As soon as you do something new, you start worrying about the outcome. I I was having this discussion with my daughter the other day. Um, Someone had managed her really badly at work. She'd got one thing wrong and they'd basically demoted her. And I said, that's horrific. Whoa. Whoa. That's horrendous, Rachel. I said. Hold on a minute. Is she a doctor? Did she take out the wrong
1: organ? No. Because that we need context for this story. <laughs> oh, she wouldn't. Because in... that feels like a fine <laughs> emotion. I'm, I have to be honest. I might I might side with her employer at this point. If it was the left lung and, she you know, she did right the right one. or something yeah. like that. No. No, she just <laughs> works in
0: sales, darling, and she got one thing wrong. Okay? And, and I played this one back to her. Though We'll come back to the medical one in a minute. Well, I said, OK, Rach, because we know it's a Women's World Cup at the moment and um, people miss goals. Are they taken off the pitch and put in the bin and told they can't play? No. They go, right, OK, next time it'll be better. They are. Some of the fans aren't necessarily so
1: <laughs> gracious. No, but it's how teams work. It's the fact but... that... The team, the point, the point. There's the team that you're in is super encouraging, claps you off, gives you a hug, is is really wonderful. And then, yeah, the, the What we're
0: talking about is wider society. Why does society in. In. pile in and go? And it's because we've taught ourselves. If we are not perfect, first time we we're a failure. How awful is that? How can we evolve? How can we change? How can we transform? How can we challenge anything if we've been taught not to try? How much of
1: this do you think comes down to trauma of being pointed out and laughed at and told you a a failure so that then you then go on and do it as an adult or as a child Well, you're just teaching what you've been taught.
0: So if the prevailing thing is failure is wrong, you will then teach failure is wrong. Because like we were talking about in the first episode, if you don't have a choice, if you don't know that it's not wrong, you will only choose the one you've been given. And the one you've been given is this. And I like it really, really deep down upsets me because for years and years and years and years and years, I never told anyone I was dyslexic. Because number one, that mocks me out. Number two, they know I make mistakes, right? I had to literally sit and tell myself it's a superpower. And I've told my daughter, because she's also dyslexic, it's a superpower. You look at the world in a way no one else does. Okay? And the difference it has had for her up growing up through her childhood than me who was told um, I didn't try hard enough, um, I was lazy, I didn't pay attention to detail, um, and literally on my school reports it, it said all of that, you know, and the fact that um, really interestingly it was only as I, I could write as, as well as I could articulate when I was talking. Well, and the thing is that that scared me for years for writing anything. I didn't do any non-science A-levels because I was told I couldn't write. Just because this thing, and the other thing I'd like to point out is no one does this on purpose. right? I don't think anyone set out to say, we're going to control people by telling them they can't learn. But technically, that's what happens. And all we do is hand on the same rubbish to our children and to anyone else in society, like we are saying, the football fans. I could do that better. Oh, really? Right, you might be hugely emotionally invested in what's going on, but this this idea that A, perfectionism has to win, and B, if you try and fail... You are nasty and bad. Has literally, I believed, fundamentally stopped human beings evolving.
1: There are those people around us who seem to not be crippled by failure. Um, they seem to be able to push through it. You know, I think technology and its inv- its advancement is a sign of people that keep trying. Totally. In, 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 in and, and letting it, you know, I remember reading an article in one of the Sunday papers about a very successful businessman who said, uh, this can be summed up as my 12-year overnight success, because everybody will talk about me as an overnight success because they've never heard about me before. But I've been doing this for 12 years. And along that, that 12-year road was heartache, remortgaging and worrying if my marriage was going to survive and how we were going to pay the bills and failure, a huge amount of failure. But I just didn't want to not do this. I didn't want to give up. So I kept going.
0: And here I am now and I'm so in this position. That's interesting. There are very particular... This gets us into how people change and transform, okay, because we are hardwired to change as groups, which, again, we'll discuss in another episode. But there are people who are more able to risk, right? And the more on the higher risk spectrum you become, the more you really are are that sort of person, okay? So a bit like a Steve Jobs, um, a Elon Musk, um, she says desperately trying to think of an outstanding female entrepreneur in that sort of vein. I think women are told they need to be perfect more than men, and men are also allowed to make more mistakes than women. Women aren't all supposed to be perfect. But then that also comes back to the fact that you teach someone, if they're not male or female, then they're a failure as well because they haven't fitted into those Absolutely. categories. But I do think yeah. certain we allow certain genders to fail more it, just because of the way, again, that's another structure we look at the world at. But you and I both know growing up as women that you weren't allowed to do that. No way. But quite, I'm not, I don't have brothers. Um, and I, uh, so I don't know. I wasn't in that environment. But even at home when I grew up, my sister was allowed to fail more than I was. If I wasn't perfect, it, or, and also if we went out and she did something wrong, it was still my fault because she was younger than me. <laughs> Uh, okay you had the responsibility of her yeah but it's the, so some there are if you are very very high risk so two things you need to be high risk you also need to have this slightly weird thing in your head which says really don't care what anyone else thinks about me and so your what's called your group attachment's quite low now interestingly most on, uh, outstanding people who invent things are both of those things they're very high risk and they don't care what most people think. They're only about 2% of the population. And in the end, anyone who's listening to this probably isn't in that category because they won't be listening here anyway because they think they're perfect. <laughs> Gosh, to be of the 2%. Oh, I've never been there. I mean, I, I literally this morning was sitting here having huge self-doubt about recording anything again because it frightens the living daylights out of me.
1: <laughs> right. And 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 yet you're here. You turned up, and
0: we're doing it anyway. Because I'm probably more high risk than not in the end, right? I I just I would know. So one of the reasons, if you if you want to start to understand your own capability to risk, is ask yourself where you go on holiday. Because where you go on holiday is the only time you spend your own money and your own time. So that's as you as you said earlier on is relatively high risk. So mm-hmm. given a world where I am allowed to choose, so not pre family or post family or having to also factor in someone else's feelings, I'd turn up an airport with my passport and get on the first plane out. I don't I just I but that puts me in very high risk category because most people wouldn't do that.
1: No. And it's just a, a real sign of your belief that you can survive whatever it is when you get off at the other side?
0: Actually, I think it's interesting. I wouldn't even go, can I survive? I'd have gone, oh, I wonder where we'll go and what it'll be like. And if I don't like it, I can always come back. You know, or, or if it's the first flight and it says, I don't know, the Falkland Islands, actually, no, I'd probably go there. Um, but it might say somewhere where there was a war on, you know, or it could potentially be, I'd probably go, hmm, perhaps not a great choice, Jimmy. Uh, wait for the next one.
1: But I said, oh, okay, so you wouldn't be like, well, I've said I'm going to go. Oh, God, no, so I would I'm do off. some
0: balance because um, it's a bit like... <laughs> some risk management. Yeah, it's a bit like being a free climber. The only free climbers you know are incredibly skilled because you might be climbing without yeah. a rope, but you have to be planned high-level risk taker. And that's a complete... I did some... Yeah, did you? I Well, not out yeah. in the world.
1: I went to a climbing wall... Um, not far from where I live and it was my first ever experience at climbing which I've wanted to learn how to do for a really long time so I did that the the, the horizontal one you sort of just kind of go across and you learn about all okay. the different sort of holes and stuff and then she was like right up you get let's get onto the wall and I was like there's no ropes or anything she was like, I don't know we're a free climbing center and I was like oh okay I guess I'm getting up that wall How amazing! off we go and um I've never had vertigo or anything like that. I'm not at mm. all bothered about heights. You know, I've never experienced anything of, of that sort. Um, the second, the first yeah. time I did, all good, up to the top, touched the top, came back down again. Second one I did, the wall was slightly sort of inverted. Overhanged, backwards. she said later. Yeah, it's an overhang. It was a slight overhang. Um, and she said, I got to two thirds of the way up and I thought, I feel really... I could feel myself getting shaky and feeling really conscious of the height
0: Interesting.
1: and I tried to push on and I thought, no, I'm feeling my hands going like something is weird happening. So I came down and she said, it's totally okay. Some people like the overhang, some people prefer it when it goes backwards. Oftentimes when there's an overhang, it will make you feel like you're pushing, you're coming off Mm -hmm. the wall. And so it will kind of instill this fear of, I'm going to fall, nothing is attaching me to anything. It's your first time. We've been doing this for 20 minutes of your whole life. So it's okay to have- Oh yeah, so she said it was okay. (laughs) Um, She gave me full permission to have felt the way I felt and then took me to a different climb where it was going in, whatever. I'm sorry, I don't know the terms. And I did that, got to the top, came back down again, and she was like, "So you you just you prefer a climb that doesn't that doesn't have an overhang or a slight overhang? That's obviously so. You need to what you need to do is learn to stretch your arms and legs out, and you sort of clamber along with your arms. Right. and legs. Right. So you stretch. like gravity in your favor, basically. But it was this. It was that moment of I'm. I, I tried it again mm. a couple more times because I sort of wanted to get to grips with the feeling of it, so that as I continue to do this, I'm not going to be overcome again." Uh, by that, I love that, that fear, and then the fear of falling yes. off and then not getting yeah. it. And doing all that for the very first time in my life without ropes or Amazing. a safety harness or anything like that was
0: bonkers, but lovely. It is. Now, what's really interesting, I'm going to pick up on a point there, which I think is really interesting, is you sat with how it felt, you didn't run away from it. Now, if we've been taught to fear things, and what, what will happen is because you're so frightened of being frightened, you won't do something. But if you, know you're, if you know that you will be frightened of doing something new or frightened of changing something, if you just allow yourself to feel frightened, it goes away because what that mechanism is doing is trying to protect you. But if it realises while you're doing it, you're not under threat, it dissipates. And this is this is the bit of how you can then start to work with that fact. I mean, first of all, you have to step over the threshold, okay? Because you, if you've been holding on to that idea that doing anything and getting it wrong means you get shouted at, so you're frightened of it, you, put, you actually getting to the threshold is really difficult because immediately your brain's gone, I'm, no, just no. In fact, it'll say no so much to yourself, you might not even look at doing anything new taking a new way of going to work or going in a different, round a different direction to work, I know can sometimes frighten people because they think they're going to be late and if they're going to be late, someone's going to tell them off. If they're going to tell them off all immediately. They've gone to is going to lose my job if I'm three and a half seconds late. Instead of going, I'm going to try a new way to work and I know it's going to make me feel like that. So it's the actual fact of knowing and then sitting with feet, that feeling Because the mechanism you're playing with in your head to be able to do these things is neurons go off and do their fire, do their stuff, might release um, hormones. But immediately you'll feel something, which could be fear. And then you'll think something and then you'll do something or not. So when fear becomes wrong is the fact that it stops you doing anything different. And all you've got to do is go feel it. And if you're feeling it and nothing horrible happens, your brain will go, okay, that was okay. So you'll be able, you can start thinking a different way and then do something differently. But having worked with people for a long time, I do actually know, and that's actually a real example, this chap I was working with just couldn't cope in his head with the idea of just even taking a different way to work. And what we were actually unpacking is the fact that what was really the challenge is the fact that he thought if he was going too late, he'll get told off. He was going to get told off. He was a failure. If he was a failure immediately, he'd get fired. So in his head, taking a new to work meant he was going to get fired. Wow. And it all happened unconsciously. You know, it's all, it all goes, no, 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 I'm not going to do this because that's just scary. And it's the fact that if we start to surface some of these things and go, I just allow myself to feel it, not feel, think, do, or feel, think, not do if you're afraid, but just to allow yourself to mm-hmm. feel it. It's hugely powerful. Um, it is uncomfortable because your body will go, ah, but then nothing hurt you. Yeah. So it will go, oh, f- f- false alarm. Sorry. Just scared <laughs> the living daylights out of you for no apparent reason at all because obviously you're okay. And then, and it goes back to sleep again, going, oh, flip. Thing is, it doesn't learn. I'll just point that out. It's always going to do that to you because it's a program. Because for the 7.5 million years of hominoid evolution, anything you couldn't predict was probably likely to hurt you. So you will just have to learn to live with it, like you did, climbing. Absolutely.
1: There's a wonderful clip of a, um, a little girl who is learning how to skate with her dad she's at a skate park on a skateboard um and he is encouraging her you know to go up and down this little ramp or maybe they're in a his garage anyway he then steps away and she has a little a microphone in her oh i love some of these yes yeah go on right in her helmet and um what's recorded is all the things that he was saying to her That was encouraging her to keep going and keep trying, and you know, don't give up, and you've got this, and it's okay. And she started saying to herself. And so she took the external encouragement, and the external, you know, praise of her dad, and the external words that he gave her, and brought them into herself and started saying them to herself. Well, and that's and it's one of those. Yeah, go on. It's lovely. It's just, it's one of those videos that I think about quite often. And if I feel myself getting frightened to do something, if I feel myself feeling the, the the failure on the horizon or the worry of the failure on the horizon, and I can feel myself starting to, you know, feel the things Mm. in her little sweet American voice (laughs) that is in this recording. I start, it sort of starts playing in my mind. Um, a little kind of cheerleader
0: of encouragement that... Yeah, so what you're doing... I can do tough things. ...is internalising, or what she was doing, is internalising what was told to her on the outside. So if the outside world tells you it's okay, you'll feel fear, but you'll go, no, this is yeah. fine, I can do this. If the outside world tells you, no, that's wrong, that's what happens, mm-hmm. um, that you will think mm-hmm. that as soon as I fear that's wrong. And I think this is really interesting about, um, I'll say, parenting, so one of the things we don't we can sometimes not want our children to do is risk, because they might fall over and hurt themselves. But if we don't allow them to learn to risk, how will they ever know how to learn? So it's those those two things. So if your toddler falls over, you don't oh, oh don't do that. You might break something. You go yeah yeah get up try again. Internalizes the voice. I'll keep doing this. I can keep doing this, um, and they do. And there's riding a bike. Totally, all of all of those things were about learning to risk. Now, if we don't learn to risk, that's again, if we attach even just slight risk to, um, oh, you shouldn't do that. You might hurt yourself. What are you going to think? As soon as those things set off in my head. But it's it's the same mechanism. Do you see? Do you see this bit? It's the fact that this internal, uh, this external voice tells you something that is talking about an internal feeling. And you then attach that voice to this internal feeling because that's what you're being told. So if it says, yeah, you will feel like that, but it's fine. You can do this. Or it comes in and goes, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. And this is how we start to program ourselves. Our behaviors start to become programmed from a very small age to fear things that are actually good for us. Like broccoli. (laughs) It would be broccoli. We could have a whole discussion Um, of why children's taste buds are more attuned to bitter flavours and don't like them sometimes. That said, though, most of that work's all all written in the West, uh, what we consider the West. And yet, you know, as you and I will both know, children in other cultures grow up eating spices, bitter stuff, etc., from a very young age, and don't even question it. So sometimes I'd sit there and go, hmm, Game external programming overlaid on an internal uh, a, a algorithm or a, an internal program.
1: So this is quite interesting, this sort of fork in the road, I think, from a, a parenting or primary caregiver perspective, there are certain things that we will push our children or the children around us to do that sit could sit in the camp of failure. For example, learning to walk, uh, trying new foods, uh, learning to ride a bike, uh, when you learn to drive, you know, all of these things that are, have failure as part of them. You could not learn how to do any of these things, but it's a non negotiable for your caregivers that you must learn to do these things. So they will push you and encourage well, you. Well, no,
0: it's the difference between push and encourage. Them. I think. So one of the things I've always done is don't tell anyone it's different. Right, you've got broccoli on your plate. Don't tell them it's different from potato. They won't know. It's just there. You know, it's it. it we, you, we arrive in the world and this is where we start to limit other people's choices because we give them the ones which were given to us. So you can literally go, just put it on your plate. It's like when we talked about in one of these episodes, we'll talk about Bag for Life and the fact that when I launched that, I never asked you to buy a Bag for Life. So we reduced, we, we got you to, into recycling and doing reuse, never asked you to do it. We just placed certain things in the environment that you then were, you, you went down that route regardless. And this is, this is the thing is not only do we, we also arrive and unconsciously hand on the programs we've been learned, we've been taught, Unless you actively know or do something about it. As said with my daughter in dyslexia, I decided, well, number one, I was really good because I noticed when she was learning to read, she was missed out all the small words like it and at and that. I thought, oh yeah, I know that. I do that. That's because your brain's trying to process five words along. So you miss out the little words. It's a standard sign of being dyslexic. So um, I got I changed that for her. I didn't think she was failing because I knew what it was. I'd been told at that age that it was me and I was wrong, not that my brain processed it in a different way. So we don't have to hand on and encourage those programs to be unconsciously delivered to the next generation if we know now that's just something we've been taught. It's not real. It's not an imperative
1: So what can we do? How can we break this? There are so many of us out here who are um, (laughs) trying to break here for ourselves, maybe trying to break, trying to help the people around us, encourage them. There are so many sort of things online, aren't there, about um, what if I fail, but darling, what if you fly? Oh, yes, a lot. I'm sorry, you know... Reach for the. Main, I, mean, I like you know you'll land amongst the stars and because for me
0: platitudes those sorts sat of there things there forever and they didn't make me it, so everyone told me what to do not how to do it right so you go reach for yes. the stars and I'm sitting there going flipping heck, no can't can't even look up from my feet how and it's what I think it's really important to look back at your free climbing example which is if you know something frightens you. Sit with being frightened. Just sit with the emotion. Let it, let yourself feel it. And if then nothing nasty happened, your brain starts to go, oh, that's interesting. Nothing nasty really did happen. Um, and now we'll get all chorus, chorus of people go, oh, anxiety, this, that, and the other. These Some of these things can be based in hormonal stuff. So uh, let's put aside once. So if you're getting anxious and you're perimenopausal, please go and look at HRT because. Having got so anxious, I couldn't get in the car and drive because I thought I was going to die. Um, I, having, for my experience anyway, that was hormonal-based. But if you are looking at especially learning, let's come back to something about learning because this in the end is what I think is insidious, is the fact that we've taught people that if you learn, go and learn something new and you don't get it right or aren't really very good, you're a failure. And if we just focus on learning... And you can actually learn to do anything at all. You might never be, if you wanted to run 100 metres, you never gonna, You might never be a Usain Bolt, but bloody hell, anyone can run 100 metres and you can always improve your personal best. Why shouldn't you try? Or you suddenly decide, I'm going to learn a language or I'm going to learn a different route to work. Simple little things that... The prevailing models of society have taught us, don't try. Because if you try, you'll fail. And if you fail, you're going to feel bad about yourself. So don't try. And I think that's the insidious bit, is the fact that we've been taught not to learn. And if I was going to focus this on anything, this episode, it's don't fear learning. If you're sitting down to do something new, I said, even with this gentleman, it was driving a different way to work. Why are you so frightened of doing that thing? And if you do it and start like you were doing with your overhang, just let that fear sit there and don't do anything with it. It will dissipate. And that is the first step of you starting to build a different program in your head.
1: Very exciting, isn't it? Yeah, because you can you can do so much when you're not frightened of failing. Yes, and
0: just on learning, I've just for learning. For me, if it was just learning, it'd be great, right? You know, just learning. I mean, you can look at sport. Just I just love anyone to be able to go out and try and do something, whether it's a sport, whether it's a language, whether it's a new route to work, whether it's writing. You're not a failure if you're not don't get it right first time. You're not. And you, you can try. I mean, I've tried doing some stuff recently about writing, and I've suddenly realized, oh, actually, when I first started, I really, I did, I could almost hear people, in, and especially my mother's voice and someone at school, go, oh, you can't write. You're a mathematician. You can't write. And it's taken me nearly 18 months to get over the fact that actually, yeah, well, I can write. In fact, no one can tell me I can't write. Okay. I would. When I say write, I mean read something worth reading. I said, if you looked at what I've written this morning, no one else could understand it um, because my handwriting is so dreadful. But it doesn't mean I can't write things that have impact.
1: Well, absolutely. Yeah, those, th- those two things are not mutually exclusive. No. You know, not being able to write is, I mean, it's not a thing if you're talking about the legibility of your writing. Oh, that'll always
0: be disastrous because um, physically my head and my hand... Don't work together. <laughs> but you know, there's the famous comparison with
1: doctors. You know, nobody can read a prescription apart from a pharmacist and the person who wrote it, and sometimes they struggle
0: once it's been written because. But even those it doesn't things, make any sense. Tiny little things. Um, you know, it's not about changing the universe. Walk a different way to work. Get a different train. And if you don't, just try. try. It. And if you, if that immediately get makes you feel fearful and and everyone has enough um, self-awareness to go, okay, I think I'm going to get sacked if I get the wrong train So I'm going to be late and this, that and the other. You can sit there and go, that's really strange. But that fear... Sort of sackable offence. A sackable offence yeah. being five minutes late.
1: So there's a piece here about speaking to yourself the way you would speak to a toddler. Oh, right,
0: yes. Yeah, or... Right, or your skateboarding yourself with encouragement. Or there's another there's another one I follow called Chasing Sage, who um she's a she started snowboarding really really little, and she's five or six now. And the words she says to herself are exactly the same. I can do this. I will feel I will feel like this, but I can do this. And therefore, like your little skateboarding girl, they are teaching them that risks okay, and also getting it right wrong is okay
1: yeah and that that could that is a key for so many people oh god yes to feel better about taking the chance whatever it might be trying a new brand of bread or something i mean it could literally be something be as simple as that there's yes
0: exactly yeah
1: but a massive yeah, thing and there's
0: there's one other thing i think i'd i'd like to address here it's also the fact that we are taught if we don't meet certain gateways at certain ages, then we're also a failure, right? So if if you don't mm-hmm. get the right number of GCSEs or A levels, you're a failure. I still think that's madness. I mean, it, it's it's like, uh, well, what happened? What does it matter if you resit them? Really, in the whole human yes. world, yeah, we are told it does, and yet, really, does it? Just because then you go to university Absolutely a year not. flipping later or you don't get all your GCSE. Who cares? There is no rule which there's nowhere it's written down, right? It's not a written down rule. It's an, it's something we've created, which is called a norm, which is something we expect um, and we behave by just because we do. Who said you had to achieve X in Y timescale? scale? personally. It's because society is managed, so we all start earning money and then paying the tax. And I think, in, in, in my worst um, outcomes, is the fact that, well, in that case, we get all these people a lot younger paying money into the tax system, so we've got more money to spend. And I'm quite sure the tax system wants you completely staying there till you're 65, 67, or 70. And then, oh, please don't retire, just drop dead because then you'll be costing us too much money. So we won't look after you either. But it's that bit of not achieving a gateway can really undermine someone. We've again taught you you're a failure. How dare society do that? How dare it tell anyone you've failed? Because you didn't achieve something at a particular period in time. It doesn't mean you can't, it doesn't mean you won't, and it's still teaching you not to try and not to improve
1: is there anything else that you would like to cover on this topic oh god we could go <laughs> when does failure become wrong is there anything else that you would like to to say to the listener any little tidbits some advice some help some anything at all that you'd like to put out there
0: one last thing i think is also the fact that it's not it's it can be about fitting into any box ever that if you don't you're a failure so again um sexuality uh, binary so if you're not binary you're a failure and we started to change those things but also i think we need to look at the fact that if we don't fit in, let's say you get divorced you get married then you get divorced. even though and i'm only talking about the uk in the moment 50 percent of marriages end in divorce you're told you failed Again, it's because you didn't sit into a box someone else expected you to sit in. And I think just the little thing I'd like for, for anyone out there thinking about is the fact that just because you don't fit into a box someone else told you you should fit into doesn't mean you're a failure. And if you start to understand that you've been told to fear, I mean, even if the word sounds wrong, failure, you've been told to feel bad if you fail... That's wrong. Change. For heaven's sake, a little plant. In fact, here's an image I'll leave people with. I love this one. I got delivered a sunflower in Sunflowers the other day, right? And in that sunflower, the petals had started to form in the middle as well and not just on the outside. So it had gone into the seeds of the sunflower bit, so like a little triangle coming out. So it was a circle with a V in the bottom, right? And I looked at that sunflower and I thought, flipping heck, if you were a human being, you would have told you were nasty, you were a failure, and that you didn't fit in and you were all wrong. Instead, that little sunflower just flowered and then its seeds will hand on and other sunflowers will go. We're all human. We all come in different shapes. Be the sunflower. Be
1: the
0: sunflower. That's a lovely...
1: Thank you so much,
0: Jenny. OK. Oh, well, we'll be seeing each other again soon, I'm sure.
1: Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on the journey with with me, with us. Well, you're the explorer, Marheen. I'm off.
0: I'm bashing into the undergrowth of our brains. <laughs> and into all that programme, prodding around, gallivanting within that programming. What we want to do, as we've always done with this, is help you understand why you feel, the thoughts that you do, and then the behaviour behind that. So you have a choice of how you behave and who profits by it. And if it's not you and it's not humankind, then stop and think and go, who's controlling? Who's behind my steering wheel? So I want to invite you back, whether you're on a walk, going for the train, on that commute, taking a bath even, cooking, driving a car, wherever you find yourself, come and find us. We will be waiting.